Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This episode is part of our Minute CE curriculum. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements, as well as the learning objectives. We've been discussing clinical trial and real-world data around more durable treatments for diabetic macular edema, so let's take a closer look at efficacy with some actual patient cases. This is CME on ReachMD, and I'm Dr. Christina Way. I'm Dr. Durga Borkar, and I've got a case here. This is a 65-year-old phacic woman with moderate NPDR with diabetic macular edema in the right eye. Her past ocular history is significant for cataracts and ocular hypertension in both eyes. At presentation, she's 2050, and you can see that she has significant center involving diabetic macular edema, including some subretinal fluid as well. I initially tried to treat her with a flibercept every four weeks for four injections, and you can see that there was a marginal improvement in her center involving DME and visual acuity. She went from 2050 to 2040, but still with pretty significant persistent edema. At that point, furosemab was not available yet. I may have considered it earlier. So I decided to transition her to intravitreal triamcinolone just to see how she would do with steroids, although we know that not all patients respond to each steroid the same way in terms of their IOP response. I decided to try this before a longer acting implant and started her at a two milligram dose because there is some data to suggest a slightly lower incidence of ocular hypertension in these patients. So after I tried that for two injections, I saw that she did improve but she still had an incomplete response. At that point, furosemab became available. And what was great to see was that her center involving DME significantly improved, and I was able to extend her to Q6-week treatment before her initial four loading doses. Her vision improved from 2040 to 2025, and her CST improved significantly. I would say some of the key points here were that I'm consider switching to furosemab early if patient is not responsive. And really, it would be wonderful to be able to start some of these patients initially on furosemab, which is now more of an option given that it's readily available at multiple academic centers as well. And it may be a helpful option to avoid steroids in phacic patients or patients with glaucoma. We know that some of the patients with glaucoma do tolerate steroids well with just additional topical treatment, but it is still a risk to take. So it's nice to have this additional option in our armamentary. It's also interesting to just think about how quickly we are able to extend some of these patients. You know, typically label use would require four Q4 week loading doses, but what we saw in Farretina and what I'm seeing in my practice is that we're not necessarily doing that all the time. Great case, Durga. I think there's really two points that are highlighted by your case. First, this eye did have a response, but not a complete response, as you said, to an anti-VEGF and a steroid, and a switch to furosemab was able to finally get the retina dry. You know, while it's impossible to tease out the anti-VEGF component from the anti-angiopoietin-2 component of this bispecific molecule, this case certainly suggests that the additional blockade of ANG2 may be beneficial. And second, I noticed that you did load the patient with four monthly furosemab injections. And this is really less of a statement than it is a point of discussion, but it will be interesting to learn how treatment regimens are adopted in the real world, not only in terms of loading, but also in the increments and thresholds used in extending and contracting intervals. Those are great points, Christina. I think one of the challenges with evaluating durability in the real world is balancing physician intention and patient follow-up patterns. In my patient's case, I had initially tried to load them and treated them Q4 weeks for the first two injections. But with the third injection, she came back after six weeks. She looked good at that point, and so I continued her on Q6-week treatment. But it just reflects how, in the real world, durability is not always measured according to strict retreatment criteria. 
Yeah, you're absolutely right, Dirk. I'm so glad you brought up that point because I recently actually presented on behalf of our study group a paper that we've been working on looking at that very question. And just bottom line, we looked at patients who were treated with anti-VEGF injections and looked at the delta or difference between the intended follow-up versus the actual follow-up. We were very surprised to find that almost a quarter of injections were given at least seven days later than intended. So it's really important that we continue to focus on this very important issue. Those are all excellent points, Christina. We'll be talking more about treatment-resistant DME in our next episode. So stay tuned. See you soon. You've been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is provided by Prova Education and is part of our Minute CE curriculum. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com slash Prova. Thank you for listening.